Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. All right, so we are continuing with our Scene Change uh, series today. And uh, we're just going deeper and deeper into different aspects of prayer and how the Lord wants to change the scene in our lives as we agree with him. Now, we live in Western PA, so we see a scene change like every couple hours here, right? I know, I remember that one day, it was like we experienced three full seasons in one 24-hour period of time. I think it started with like sleet and hail, and then by the end of the day, it was like great. But it is, I mean, in Western PA, you could start even in the morning time, right? The birds are chirping, the sun's shining, maybe it's humid and it's warm, you got your shorts and your t-shirt on, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go for a walk, I'm gonna pick some weeds, I'm gonna do some chores, it's gonna be a beautiful day, you check the weather, the weatherman looks like it's gonna be all straight. And then it seems like out of nowhere, right? The wind starts to pick up, the thunder starts to roar, the rain starts to come down, and we're like, okay, this entire day has now changed. Plans are changing. I'm no longer doing my chores. Now I'm going to go make sure my recycling bins are brought into the garage so they don't blow away. I'm going to make sure, you know, hope that the leaves on the trees don't clog my gutter and all that other stuff. Well, eventually the wind dies down, the rain dies down, and no longer are you wearing your shorts. You're not in your T-shirt. In fact, you want to go put your hoodie on, your sweatpants, and you're like, okay, now is the time to sit by the fire just so I can stay warm. And you're wondering, what in the world happened from 9 o'clock this morning? How many of you experienced that? Western PA weather, right? Listen, it's, I know, I love it too. I love all four seasons of it. And it does, it changes constantly. And you know what? Our life is just like that as well. There is constant scene change happening. It could, you could wake up in the morning and you hear great news about something going on. By midday, you could find out something you know, bad happened to maybe one of your relatives. And by the end of the day, you receive a promise about something else that you've been seeking. And there's change after change after change. But this is the opportunity that we have. We get to partner with the change agent himself to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to be so tethered to this change agent that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, we will be seeking him for the answer. Amen? Now, in organizations and companies, they actually have people that they would label change agents. These people are forerunners for positive change. So they are people that are innovative, they're problem solvers, they're risk takers, and they will go and they'll begin processes that make an organization or a company different. They're called change agents. Now, it's not just this one person because as they begin to make changes and people begin to watch, they say, wait a minute, I like what's happening to our company. I like what's happening to our school district. I like what's happening to whatever. Then these people are observing the change agent and they begin to act as the change agent does. And what happens in those moments is momentum begins to occur with this group of people and positive change accelerates in those moments. Now in our spiritual life, this is the fact. Jesus is our change agent. Can you say amen? We get to partner with him to see heaven come to earth to see heaven's realities actually manifested right before us. What a privilege we have. When he walked this earth, he brought God's kingdom with him. We, sit, we, we read about the miracles, the signs and the wonders, people turning from ways of wickedness and rebellion to follow the one we call Lord and Savior. And here's the bottom line. We can actually watch his lifestyle of prayer and we could follow his ways and see those changes. This is what I want to camp out on today. So we must learn to pray as Jesus prayed so we can see the change Jesus saw. If we want the results that we see in the Bible, we should probably follow the ways of the master. Amen? 
So throughout the Gospels, there are multiple examples of Jesus' prayer life, his lifestyle, his ways with the Father. And we must, I'm not saying this is a suggestion, we must learn how to pray as he prayed. Now you might say this, well, he's Jesus, he's God, so I'm not going to get the same results as him. I probably won't be able to pray the same way because he's God. Well, listen, Philippians 2, 7 talks about how Jesus, being fully God, chose to set aside his divine privileges and live a life as a servant. In fact, it says that he did not see equality with God, something that was attainable while he was on this earth. So though Jesus never stopped being fully God, while he was here, it was like he took his divine privileges, set them on a shelf and said, Father, I'm going to show the human race how a life can be lived fully dependent on the presence of God, being filled with the Spirit. And now what happens is this. He removes every excuse that we would ever make to say, I can't pray like him. I can't see results like him because he lived life as a human, even though he was fully God. So when we see in his prayer life, we see him interacting with the Father just out of relationship. It wasn't just about the work that he was called to do. I believe the majority, the large majority of Jesus's time spent with the Father was about relationship. You see, he was with the Father from before creation was ever here. And he spent like a really long time with the Father. So leaving the Father and coming to earth, what did he do while he was on earth? He remained one with the Father. For Jesus, it was all about relationship. It wasn't about having a strong prayer life. It was about relationship. And at the end of the service today, we are going to uh, uh, have time at the altar. And actually, I felt pretty strong instructions from the Lord to actually break up different areas of prayer that we are desiring to grow in. And that first one is just a stronger prayer life to simply gain intimacy with the Father. There's another area, and I believe that the Lord is raising up a new company of intercessors, not just in this church, but across the country. I believe that we need to get out of a season of complaining and come into a season of interceding. Like intercession doesn't change anything, but it gives us high blood pressure or complaining, right? Complaining is going to give us high blood pressure and no changes. Intercession keeps our blood pressure down and, and change results a part of it. Like this is obvious. Do this. Complain for a week and check your health rate and your attitude and then intercede for what's going on in our country for a week and see what changes. He'll change us first and then he'll change the scene. So I believe he's raising up intercessors, people that might say, well, intercessor, doesn't that just mean like you have to spend a really long time in prayer? No, it's the attitude of your heart that you desire to press into the needs of another or the needs of a situation or a church. It's like you are putting their shoes on as you pray on their behalf until you see results. An intercessor doesn't get frustrated if they're not finding the results. They're saying, maybe today, maybe today. It's a new day and a new opportunity to see God move. Jesus prayed out of relationship. He also prayed in intercession. And then he prayed a couple times publicly to demonstrate his ministry publicly. And we need to be able to pray for more boldness so that we can pray and minister to people outside the walls of this church. So that's gonna be our altar time at the end. There'll be three specific areas where you could go, I've asked our altar team, our pastors and elders, their spouses to be in prayer for this moment, believing that God's gonna change the scene, amen? So let's take a look at a gl a glimpses of Jesus's prayer life. I wanna go to John chapter five and then John chapter 12. I'm reading out of the New International Version. This actually isn't even about his prayer life. It's about how Jesus lived that was rooted in a life of prayer. John chapter five, starting at verse 19, Jesus is talking. He says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Down in verse 30, by myself, I can do nothing. It's a pretty profound statement. 
that the Son of God is making. This is Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, saying, I can do nothing on my own. This is a demonstration of complete surrender and submission to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the life that our Savior chose to live. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Come on, Jesus didn't come to earth saying, look at me, do like me, do this, and worship me. He wasn't, he wasn't attention seeking. He said, my one goal in life is when I see and I sense my father doing something, I'm going to do it. I'm not here to please myself. And in John chapter 12, he gives another glimpse. Starting at verse 49, he says, For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Listen, this is how Jesus performed all of his miracles. This is how Jesus got all of his results. This is how Jesus did life. Now picture where we are and picture where Jesus was. His life and his heart's cry followed after these two things. I'm going to do what the Father's showing me. And I'm going to say what the Father's saying. Now oftentimes we see in his life, it almost seems like Jesus is like scattered a bit. Like he's on a trip to go here and get sidetracked and heal somebody. Or he's headed specifically to here and, you know, the, the, the woman touches his robe and just feels the power of God come into her and she's healed. And it seems like he's kind of just like ministering spontaneously, impromptu, if you would. Now you can believe that, but I actually believe that he sees the Father and he hears the Father when he's all alone with the Father. And he's so used to hearing the voice of the Spirit when he's by himself that when he gets in the midst of chaos, he recognizes what the Spirit sounds like. I believe if you do not, if we do not spend private time with Lord Jesus himself and understand what his Spirit sounds like, when it's all quiet, if we don't do that, we cannot expect to understand what the Spirit of God sounds like in the midst of our busy daily lives. It's just not gonna happen. There'll be too many noises and too many voices. So I believe the Lord, Jesus, was able to minister spontaneously because he was rooted in a daily interaction and intimacy and relationship with the Lord. So this is like what I want to do. In several weeks and several months from now, I want to be able to say that my actions and my words are closer to what the Father is showing me than they are today. You with me? How many of us would like to do that? Progressively for the rest of our lives until our last breath say, I'm growing in my actions and my words looking more like what the Father is showing me and saying to me through his Holy Spirit. That will only happen through a life of prayer and worship and intimacy. Amen? So what I want to do, I want to read a couple paragraphs from a book that I've been reading called Teach Us to Pray by Corey Russell. Very simple principles, makes you think from different angles about the subject of prayer. He writes this, the disciples saw it all. They witnessed every miracle. They heard every message. They beheld every deliverance. They observed every prayer. For three and a half years, the disciples got a front row seat to Jesus' life. They watched God the Son, talking to God the Father, to God the Spirit. And they weren't witnessing some religious activity performed by Jesus. No, prayer was his life. Jesus didn't have to stir himself in any way to start a conversation with the Father. Now, not only did the disciples see Jesus pray, they watched in 
awe as Jesus cast out demons with a word. They stared in disbelief as Jesus healed lepers, made the lame walk, caused the blind to see. They heard his masterful sermon on the mount and were often perplexed by his metaphors on the kingdom of heaven. They observed his effortless evangelism with the woman at the well. They looked on with great amazement as he brought the dead back to life. They even saw Lazarus come out of the tomb after being dead for four days. Yes, these disciples were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and ministry. Yet we don't see one recorded time in Scripture where they petitioned Jesus teach us to preach. We don't see one recorded time where they said, teach us to heal, teach us to prophesy, or let teach us to do miracles. No, in fact, after spending time with the Son of God, they requested one thing, Lord, teach us to pray. At the end of the day, what the disciples wanted was Jesus' prayer life. They wanted what happened when he closed his eyes and began to speak to the Father. They understood there was a way to pray and they desperately wanted to be taught it. They had connected the dots and they discovered that Jesus' public life of ministry was the direct result of his private life of prayer. Never thought of it that way. The disciples do not say, will you give us there's nothing wrong with prophetic trainings or healing trainings. He just didn't say, give us a school of the prophecy. Give us a school of healing. They were usually speaking out of turn or arguing about who was going to sit closest to him. The one thing they wanted from him, Jesus, show us what you do when you're by yourself with the Father. Because we know all this public stuff has to be birthed in private. I don't feel led to go through the actual prayer that Jesus taught today. We've heard teachings on that. Maybe the Lord will have us before we're done doing that. But what I wanted to do is give you a glimpse of how Jesus actually behaved in prayer and they saw what he was doing that led, him, led them to the question, Jesus, will you teach us what you're doing there? The first instance is Mark chapter one, verse 35. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And it says that he ministered to people into the night. So if you, if you uh, ever see Jesus and you, and you look at him in, uh, in those watercolor paintings, like the old-fashioned paintings, where he's like chill Jesus and he's just calm, cool, and composed, perfect hair and, you know, wide-eyed and, you know, just bright and so on. Listen, Jesus had emotions. He had energy levels. He walked as a human. So picture him ministering. Watch the chosen. If you, if you think Jesus is just stoic, stoic, is that the word? Stoic, thank you. Hey, if it's not in my notes, it's not guaranteed it's coming out right. <laughs> stoic and emotionless, that's not true. Watch the chosen. It's, it's not word for word scripture, but it shows Jesus laughing, crying, dancing, energized, excited, sad, tired, all those things while still remaining perfect. So Jesus, I'm putting, I'm putting my thoughts and my uh, assumptions, my conclusion that Jesus was very tired after ministering all day and night to the demon-possessed and the sick. And it says in verse 35, Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, I said the first, my, my translation would say mid to late morning, right, if I, if I had my way. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, we could say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Jesus prayed. We expect that. He's Jesus, you know. No, no, no. This was the lifestyle he was living for his disciples to learn and watch and to replicate in other people's lives. They had to have it themselves. So look what he's doing very early in the morning while it was still dark. This is a phrase you can remember. Jesus started to pray before others started their day. It's that simple. I believe that was a very good um, factor of not losing his mind with the crowds. 
Do you know that he, he faces some ta- same temptations as us? Right? So like I said, he would weaken in his energy, all those things. But he knew, listen, before anybody else gets up, I am going to get alone. So he gets up before the morning or before the sun ever rises, and it says that he went off. What does he do? He gets out of his place where he would have his morning routine. He gets out of his place where he's going to talk to people, and he goes off somewhere else. It says to go to a solitary place. What does that mean? There's nobody else around. There's no distractions. One of the translations says he actually keeps his iPhone in the house and goes off somewhere else to pray. He doesn't even take it with him. It's crazy. He's all like, Father, I love you. Hold on one second. Okay, I got some more likes on my social media feed. Lord, you are awesome for the favor you... No. Completely by himself before anybody else is up. I'm not trying to be religious and saying, you better do this before anybody else gets up. I'm saying, follow the consistency of Jesus's life and get alone where you're not going to be distracted. See, we see all of the miracles. We see all of the amazing things that Jesus does in his life. And again, we, see, we feel like he's just always flowing with the spirit. But Jesus actually lived a more disciplined and routine life than we would first think. He had routine in his life, even though his ministry life seemed like it was stretched and going in all kind of directions. Jesus had routine, he had discipline, he had commitment to being with the Father. I love what Corey wrote in his book. He didn't have to stir himself up. He wasn't like, okay, I have to feel like I'm in the mood now. No, it was part of his, his day. He loved the Father and he knew how much the Father loved him. And he wasn't going to pass up the time to be with him. There's a place on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee called the Eremos Grotto. You'll see some pictures up there. This is believed by some scholars to be the location that Mark chapter 1 verse 35 is talking about. It's a natural cave. It's a singular cave on this side. And it's on the mountainside of the mount where Jesus preached the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So when you see in Scripture, a lot of times a scholar, you'll, you'll hear maybe scholars will say, well, Jesus went to the top of the mountain. Read what Scripture is saying. He usually says he goes to the mountainside, the mountainside, the mountainside. He preached from the mountaintop, but he prayed from the mountainside. So many scholars believe that this is where he would go. It's not super deep. There's nothing luxurious about it. It's a hole in the side of a mountain where he got alone. That word eremos actually means solitary, alone, separated. So this is my question to you and to me. Where is your eremos grotto? I want every person that calls Central their home to have an answer for that question the rest of our lives. Like figure it out today and have an answer to that question the rest of your life. And that eremos grotto, you might have two or three. It might be your car and your basement. It might be your bedroom and your office. It doesn't matter how many you have, just make sure you have at least one. I know in my life growing up, it was right on the side of my bed. Later on, actually it was still in my bedroom uh, when I was single, transitioned to our living room after we got married. And eventually it went into the basement, basement now, my office now. But there's locations I can pinpoint where I'm going to get alone undistracted. One of my favorite places, one of my favorite Eremos grottos was in the basement of our old house. We had a three-bedroom Cape Cod small house. We had four little kids running around it. So it's filling up. There's like not a lot of private time there. So uh, our kids were old enough where we didn't have a nursery anymore. So we took our rocking chair down into our laundry room. We had this longer laundry room and we kind of stuck it uh, with, um, with the ottoman right on top of it, just in this little nook. So for a season of time, uh, I would wake up, and this was an older Cape Cod house, so it has the wood floors that creak, and you don't want to creak when the kids are sleeping, right? Do not wake the kids up. So you just, uh, just tiptoe. You, you got the path figured out. I should have put the feet marks, right? You got the path figured out where you're walking across. You're like, nope, wrong path. You know, go a little bit over. Get a little Spider-Man action going. Finally get downstairs. <sighs> Take the deep breath. 
I'd take the ottoman off the chair and sit in the rocking chair where Sharice and I spent years rocking our kids to sleep. And I was spending time with Jesus down there. But it was separate. No creaky floors. It's hard concrete away from, you know, the, the, where the kids' rooms were. And just spending time with Jesus. For a short season, uh, Isaac, he used to like to get up earlier than the other kids. And for a short season, I would kind of hear the waddling feet coming down the steps of the basement. And he was still sucking his thumb and his head would pop in like this. He'd see me and he'd walk over and he'd just plop right up on my lap. I remember just sitting there like thinking, okay, like this, my son gets to spend time with his dad while I'm spending time with my dad. This is an okay deal. I remember in that season, the Lord was really teaching me a lot in Isaiah and just the powerful pictures of Jesus, the imagery of Jesus all through the book of Isaiah, looking forward to our Savior. But I ask the question again, where is your Eremos Grotto? Ask the Lord if you don't have one to show you a place somewhere in your day where you can get alone. I want to go to the next scripture here. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Jesus, he has recently chosen his first disciples. He goes, he heals a man with leprosy. He tells the man that got healed, do not tell anybody else, show yourself to the priest and continue on. Well, of course, that didn't happen. So many people find out about it. In verse 15, it says, uh, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But... Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was the lifestyle of our Savior. Do you know what we would be tempted to do if it was this church or if it was your house? Let's say you're walking in anointing, you're praying for the sick, they're being healed, you're casting out demons, you're sharing about Jesus, and the crowds are coming. Do you know what we would be tempted to do as American Christians is this, Work harder and work longer hours. Wake up earlier and let the crowds come and go late into the night so we don't miss anybody. And what we would do is literally work ourselves out of the anointing that came from God himself. So Jesus, he didn't seem to be interested with doing what everybody else always wanted him to do. Right, so he ministered long hours. But what did he do? He often withdrew to a lonely place. Like, look at that one sentence again. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus, this is our Savior. We should follow what he's doing. Often, regularly, daily, it was a part of his routine, withdrew, got away, away from the crowd, away from the distractions, lonely places, all by himself, no one to reward him. This is what we have to get beyond. Serving in ministry. Like we, I think we do a good job of honoring our volunteers and honoring those with our golden bricks. Like we want to celebrate and it's biblical to honor. But there's something about having this private relationship with Father, with King Jesus, that nobody's going to say, wow, that's awesome. There's no public reward whatsoever. And you know your reward is just with him. And yet when you're in public, your fruit will last. So think about what he did and take notice. I believe the reason why Jesus was never burned out is because he was always prayed up. He had a lifestyle of prayer and intimacy and oneness with his father. That you just don't see him in a rush you don't see him saying, oh my goodness, I'm so stressed out. The people, will you get the people away from me? No, he loved the people and he knew when to slip out. There were several other examples that I won't read today, but I wanna just mention to you. In Luke chapter six, before Jesus chooses his 12 apostles out of all of his disciples, he prays all night long. They used to be like, wait, this is Jesus. This is the son of God. Why can't God just like download it? I don't know what was happening in that process, Maybe because God the Father knew the group of people he was about to handle to hand to his son, he was like, I need Jesus to be really prepared for this, okay? These guys are gonna be a handful. I don't know. I just know if Jesus prayed all night, we can pray for several weeks or several months or several years to get breakthrough. Amen? 
It didn't seem like it was a chore for him. He just spent time with his father until his father told him what to do. And out of all those disciples, he picked 12 because his father said to. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus learns about his cousin, John the Baptist, being beheaded. So this would have been like a tragedy to hear. Remember, Jesus felt emotion. How did he respond? In verse 13, it's not on the screen. This is Matthew 14, 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Like how many words are showing he needed to be by himself? He withdrew privately, solitary place. What's that verse trying to say? He needed to get alone. Let this be a challenge and an encouragement to every one of us. When tragedy strikes, when something unseen happens, when we're tempted to have grief or sadness come on our life, get alone first with the Father and get, some, get your emotions like under control and then go out and get godly counsel. Are you guys with me? Shake your heads if you're with me, even if you don't agree with me. It is biblical to receive godly counsel. It is biblical for people to use the gift of encouragement to surround you. I want you to feel close with other Christians during a time of grief or mourning or tragedy. But Jesus first withdrew. Like how about this? Just give God the Father a chance first to work on your soul. And then maybe you'll ask for the advice that God wants you to ask for. So what happens? He's in a boat by himself. People see him. They crowd around him. He gets off the boat, goes right into ministry, preaches to 5,000 men. I'm sure there were more women and children that aren't counted in this. And he preaches, preaches, they feed. So this is like this amazing miracle of multiplication. He preaches a hard word to them. And right after that, it picks up in verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. Come on, it wasn't not a once a week or even twice a week prayer meeting. Something bad happened. He got alone and prayed. He came back. He saw amazing miracles. Like he could have rested. He could have said, listen, I don't need to pray. That was awesome. Father showed up and like literally multiplied food. No, what did he do to be restored for his next moment of ministry? He got alone with the Father. And I really don't think Jesus was getting alone saying, okay, God, what do you have for me next? What's next? What's next? Tell me, tell me. I think he went back and he enjoyed that time. He was like, Father, thank you for letting these people see the kingdom of God come on earth as I know it is in heaven. And I think they spent wonderful, wonderful time. And I think he relaxed in the presence of his father and he received his assignments. There's a great uh, verse here in Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. Pastor Adam, you can make your way up, please, if you don't mind. That gives a picture of emotion of Jesus in his prayer life. Hebrews five, verse seven, it says, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's a verse full of words and emotion. So he's offering up these prayers. He's offering up these petitions. Even though Jesus is God, he is fully divine, he's still, in a sense, worshiped and honored and gave that recognition to God's glory while he was in prayer. So he's praying, he's petitioning, but what is he doing? He's using fervent cries and tears. So Jesus isn't the one, you know, we got the molded, like folded or the molded, you know, prayer hands on our, uh, you know, in our house and stuff. And it's like, Jesus was like, probably like this and like this. And there's a lot more emotion involved than what we see in scripture all of the time. But he cried before the father. I'm sure he laughed before the father, celebrated with the father. And with fervency, that was like passion. He let time with God move him. And that's what I want more of in my own life. And I'm hoping that you get stirred up by the Holy Spirit to do the same. Say, God, I invite you to move me while I'm spending time with you. Like let him bring you to absolute joy or overflowing laughter. 
Let him bring you to tears or to brokenness. Right, it's easy. It's easy to pray for breakthrough and miracles and salvations. But when is the last time you got before the Father and you said, Holy Spirit, break me. Break me. And you just wait. If you wait long enough, I believe you'll sense the presence of God coming upon you in those moments. So why would you want to be broken? Well, it's in our weakness that he's made strong. So I don't want to show up cocky. I don't want to show up strong. I want to show up in faith, but I want to have the courage to say, in your presence today, break me, put me back together, and prepare me for my day. Or when's the last time you invited the fire of God to literally burn out anything in your life that doesn't belong. Lord, I want to burn for you, but first I need stuff burned out of my life. So come and consume me. Your word says you're a consuming fire. It's your will to consume everything that stands between me and the destiny that you have for me or me and the image of Christ that I'm created to be. You guys with me? I would encourage you to pray some of those more courageous prayers, those more uncomfortable prayers. Maybe we'll find ourselves in a Hebrews 5-7 moment with fervency and passion and tears. We're becoming one with the Father like never before. I want you to stand at this time. For the sake of time, there are scriptures in John, in the book of John, where Jesus prays publicly. He actually prays publicly before raising Lazarus from the dead. He says something like this, Father, I know that you have already heard me and I know that you always always hear me, but I'm saying this right now so they know that I came from you. He's kind of saying like, hey, God the Father, I know you and I, we have our thing by ourselves. I'm just gonna say this little bit here so that all these people know that you're the one I spend time with privately. He finishes his prayer, Lazarus, Come forth. And literally, Lazarus, four days dead, comes out resurrected. And Jesus is like giving them a slice of his private prayer time now coming to fruition publicly. In John chapter 17, just a few chapters later, he prays a prayer of intercession. And he prays for his disciples that they would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And then he also prays for people who would come to know Jesus later on because of the ministry of his current followers. So we see Jesus, intimacy with the Father. We see him ministering in public and we see him interceding. Just three facets of Jesus's life. And that's gonna be my invitation to end this service today. The first would be if you just desire a stronger prayer life. It doesn't mean you have a weak one. You just want God to stir something up in you. That time in his presence is more meaningful than ever before. Don't even pray for the fruit right now. Just pray for the relationship, the closeness, the intimacy with the Father. If that's you, you're gonna come right to this front, this front part of the platform. If there's something in you that the Lord's saying, listen, it's time to intercede. You might not even understand what the word means, but you could tell that the Lord's taking you into this deeper, elongated time of prayer to see things shift and move. We've had people praying for this moment all week, and I'm gonna believe that your scene is about to change. You're gonna come over to this side over here. If you're a person that says, listen, I want more boldness, I want more fullness of the Holy Spirit so I can minister to people outside these walls, so I can pray with other people more effectively outside these walls, and you're gonna come over here. We're just gonna pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Adam's gonna sing. If you choose not to come forward, will you sing and worship with us and pray for those who do come forward. Altar team, pastors, elders, spouses, come on forward at this time. You are welcome to join us at the altar.
friend to me. You saved my soul and washed my feet. Here I now give all to
You can have 
you still haven't been prayed for, just stay out near the altar. If you're uh, free at the altar, find somebody to pray with. Heavenly Father, I just pray for each person that's in these pews that are online, God, that you would just stir up a greater hunger and thirst for more of your presence. Transform us from the inside out. We invite you into the most uncomfortable places of our life. And we ask you, fire of God, come. Purify us. Burn out everything that doesn't belong. Break us to rebuild us, to make us new for the days ahead. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.